Welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, January 25. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Annika Smethurst. Morning, Tom. Now, look, given we can't go overseas at the moment, would you consider maybe doing a working holiday here in Australia? Maybe picking some fruit? I don't see why people don't do it. Yeah, it's the best way to get around your own country and just earn money as you go. I did it very briefly in my youth. Look, if Australians don't get out and pick this seasonal fruit, even more of it will get ploughed back into the ground and we don't want that. But it does seem that very few Aussies actually want to do this work, Tom. It's hard work. You're going to be working in the heat. You're going to be working in the rain. You're going to be working in the mud. I mean, my staff started work at 4.30 this morning. Yeah, it is really tough work. I did a little bit in the vineyards um, as a kid and it was pretty gruelling stuff. And we're going to look further into this today on The Briefing and ask how to solve the fruit picking crisis. Uh, First, let's get into the big news of the day. Despite years of intense debate about Australia Day, the latest polling has found that almost half of Aussies want to keep it on January 26. Only 28% of people in the Ipsos poll wanted to change the date, but interestingly, half of people polled think it will be changed within the next decade. In recent years, there's been a growing campaign to move the national celebration away from the day that the First Fleet arrived in Sydney Harbour, marking the start of colonisation. Yeah, and this is in the news again because last week Cricket Australia decided to drop any references to Australia Day for its games being played tomorrow. Uh, Over the weekend, there was also plenty of debate about the ABC's decision to refer to it as both Australia Day and Invasion Day in its online events guide. And Annika, Jan and I were talking about this on Friday and one of the other interesting things here is that there is a, a bit of a generational divide when you look at young people surveyed, and this survey bore it out as well, the Ipsos one, 47% of people aged 18 to 24 think it should be moved. So I guess that gives some indication of where it might go in the future, this debate. Yeah, and that's compared to just 19% of people over the age of 55. Look, I think some people do feel there is an inevitability about it. But until there's, a, I guess, a logical alternative date, some say that might be when we become a republic. Mm. There's never going to get that, you know, higher numbers than that, I think, because there is no date being put forward. Half of Australia sweltered through a weekend heatwave with temps soaring into the 40s, and there's more of that to come across the country's southeast. I did not sleep well last night, Tom, don't know about you, but New mm. South Wales, the ACT, Victoria, South Australia and parts of regional Queensland We'll see more extreme heat today. Sorry to say that. Yeah, it's been hot in Sydney where I am and my parents who are in Adelaide have been throwing up pictures of bushfires on the family WhatsApp, which is pretty scary because they live uh, in a very tight little valley. Um, There's also been a spike in drownings. Uh, More people going to the water, of course. It's prompted a warning to stay safe if you're anywhere near the water. Three men died when a large wave washed them off the rocks at Port Kembla in New South Wales. In Victoria, there's been seven deaths in just 10 days, following on from a record number at the end of 2020. Here's the Victorian Emergency Management Commissioner, Andrew Crisp. Since the 1st of July last year, we've had, we've had 42 people die as a result of drowning deaths. The whole 12 months before that, there was 34 people that died. Wow, they're shocking numbers, aren't they? It's incredible. Look, I was at the beach yesterday and thankfully everybody was being very safe, but it is so hot down here that with those large numbers of people flocking to the coast, I guess there's always going to be accidents. 
And there's an urgent mission underway in New Zealand where officials are tracing the country's first community COVID case in months. The 56-year-old woman who'd been travelling across Europe left quarantine where she'd twice tested negative. Yeah, but then days later she started feeling sick and got tested and she was positive and she's visited close to 30 locations in that time, including popular holiday spots. New Zealand's Director-General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, says they assume it's one of the more contagious cases. We are working on the assumption that this is a positive case and that it is a more transmissible variant, either one of the, the, the one identified first in South Africa or the UK or potentially Brazil or another more transmissible variant. Yeah, and these are the sort of situations we've got to watch very closely, don't we, Annika, because of the, the extra level of contagion related to those strains. Absolutely, and despite New Zealand going into a massive lockdown last time, They have said they're going to take the hotspot approach, which was taken by New South Wales recently, meaning not the whole country will go into lockdown. Yeah, and that's because they're saying it's it's one international case uh, rather than several community cases without a clear origin, which is what they had last year and made that that snap decision in Auckland. All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan Fran's about to jump into the briefing studio as we look at the fruit picking crisis. Tom, do you eat a lot of peaches? I do, actually. And would you move to the country to pick them? Oh, I'd have to be paid pretty well. It's pretty hot out there. Yeah. Did you like my 90s Presidents of the United States (laughs) reference there? Oh, such good and and heavily dated uh, musical referencing there. (laughs) The point is, I bring that up to move into a very awkward segue to say that actually farmers would be quite desperate to have you out there picking fruit. Because in this briefing topic... We're going to ask what should be done about the dire situation that is facing Aussie farmers who cannot get enough workers to pick their fruit and veg. So we're in the situation that um, we've ploughed some of our crops already under. Wow. All right, because we can't get to them. We are missing about a third of our workforce. Mm. So we're looking at the situation that we now get to is that if we can't do it, we plough it under. So that's Ray McFarlane. She owns a lettuce and herb farm in Bacchus Marsh, which is an hour's drive west of Melbourne. And like many farmers, she can't get the workers she needs. And as you heard, she's already having to plough some of the crops into the ground, which is tragic. Yeah, she's not the only one having a hard time here either. A register set up by growers reckons farmers have lost more than $38 million worth of fruit and veg already. And the fruit and veg harvest hasn't peaked yet. That's going to happen in March. Now, COVID has meant that overseas workers aren't getting into Australia and the government is trying to get young Aussies, any Aussies really, to step in, except their scheme just doesn't seem to be working. Only 500 people have taken up a new incentive to get out there and pick fruit and veg. So normally the fruit would be picked by backpacker labour or Pacific Island workers, but because of the pandemic, the number of backpackers on working holiday visas halved as soon as COVID hit and only 2,000 Pacific workers have managed to get in so far. On Friday, the Victorian government announced they'll be bringing in another 1,500 Pacific workers. Uh, They'll quarantine via Tasmania. That's about half of what Victoria normally gets. And they'll start arriving in late February, which will be too late for a lot of the fruit and veg, which already needs to be picked. Uh, It also falls well short of the overall shortage, estimated by EY Consulting to be 26,000 workers. So let's find out more from Ray McFarlane. Uh, She's a farmer in Bacchus Marsh outside of Melbourne. Ray, why won't the Aussie workers come and take up the work? Well, because, number one, it's hard work. You're going to be working in the heat. 
you're going to be working in the rain. You're going to be working in the mud. I mean, my staff started work at 4.30 this morning. So it's, so, it, you know, it's not an appealing job? Is, is that why no, you No, it's not. Are? It's not an appealing job. And it's, you know, it's, uh, basically farming is a thankless job because you're up there making sure that people are going to have salad on their plates or salad on their rolls for lunch and everything, but no one actually knows or cares where it came from. You've gone out there and done your job, but that's it. Where do you think we've gone wrong here? Is it a failure to attract Australian workers to fill the breach? Is it, you know, Australian workers not being um, ready to do the hard labour? Or do you look at more at the way we've handled our, our borders, both state borders and international borders in, in the pandemic? Well, in the pandemic, for instance, right, uh, some of the states have already started to get um, seasonal workers in. Um, Queensland's had a couple of plane loads, same with New South Wales. Uh, Northern Territory took the first lot of Vanuatu's to come in. So they've had them in for months. Um, unfortunately for Victoria, they keep going from one department to another saying, oh, well, it's up the health department. No, it's up to the agriculture department. They can't work out a pathway for quarantine. And so it's sort of delayed everything here. Now, considering Victoria grows a lot of the produce over the summer, you think it'd be a priority, but it's obviously not. That was Ray McFarlane, the Victorian farmer. Um, now, let's speak to Noah. He's one of the few young Aussies that's gone out and done this kind of work. He's 19, lost his job last year because of COVID. And so he moved from New South Wales to far north Queensland in November to pick mangoes for three months. Noah, what was your experience like? Um, I found it as a good experience. It really helped with my mental health. Yeah, it was very fun, enjoyable. It's good to meet some new people and just travel around our own country. Yeah, but you ended up in hospital after your first day of work. That doesn't sound <laughs> too appealing. Yeah, um, the heat got to me the first day. Yeah, it was very rough. <laughs> Yeah, what were the conditions like? Do, do you feel like you got paid enough? Were the hours reasonable given the, the heat and the conditions? We were on a casual rate. It was on, we were on minimum and it was 24.80. An hour? And Yep. And we worked from 6.30 to 4 in the other. It was pretty good. The government struggled to get other young people to do what you did. Why do you think it's been so unpopular? I don't really know. I don't see why people don't do it. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's the best way to get around your own country and just earn money as you go. So it's something that really you'd recommend why. to other people, would you? Yeah, I recommend it to anyone to try it. Give it a shot and just have fun. Do you think there's an attitude problem? Do you think, you know, um, the younger generation has sort of become disconnected from this kind of manual labour? I think they're starting to get a bit lazy, to be honest. They need to go out and just try, just do whatever they want. So do you have any suggestions on how the government might get those people to do that. Just promote it a little bit more and give some help, explain it a little bit because it's a lot harder than it is. It's just very repetitive. Yeah, and is it hard to organise, to find the work, to find somewhere to stay, that kind of thing? Do you think there's more that could be done to make the experience smoother? Um, not really. You can just – there's a um, backpackers job board, which is the best way to find farm jobs and they're usually uploading like – five to ten jobs a day and you just travel and just enjoy it and then you just call up around 
towns and stuff and they always have accommodation for seasonal workers which is perfect so that was noah and after three months of picking mangoes he actually scored a job on hamilton island Uh, so let's find out what the federal government's doing to solve the problem there are two main elements here one is getting the workers in from the pacific and that's what ray mcfarlane from bacchus marsh was crying out for earlier Um, we did mention that They've got 2,000 in already, and in Victoria, they're going to bring another 1,500, but it's too little too late for a lot of farmers. Uh, The other element to this, of course, is incentivising Australian workers to come and pick the fruit. Uh, The Agriculture Minister is David Littleproud. Minister, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the attempt to get Aussie workers to fill the breach. Your government offered the Harvest Trail relocation incentive back in October. Basically, young Australians could get up to six grand reimbursement um, to move to regional areas to pick fruit. It doesn't seem to be working that well. You've had just over 500 tank up the offer compared to a shortage of 26,000 workers. Would you say it's not going too well? Oh, well, definitely. And we didn't expect it to be the silver bullet. Even before the pandemic started, we've had trouble to get Australians to take these jobs up. So we didn't think this was the panacea, but we have an obligation uh, to the Australian public and to farmers to make sure that these jobs are offered to Australians first. We want Australians to take these jobs up, but society shifted and they're not interested in these jobs. But that's why we've complemented it with farm workers. We've gone further than just offering $6,000 in travel reimbursements. I think it's important to understand. We've also said to those, particularly that are going uh, on to further studies, that this would be an accelerated pathway to Aus study and AB study. Mm. So during the summer, if you went and worked in agriculture and agriculture alone and earned $15,000, then you'd get an accelerated pathway to Aus study and AB study when you went back to uni. So you'd have money in your pocket for a week. And then you'd also, when you start university, you'd be uh, getting Austudy and Abstudy uh, from the very start. So we tried to, to look at this and incentivise those because you've got to understand some of these jobs are many thousands of kilometres away. So how does the six gram work? Does that just, you know, pay for your petrol costs if you say move from Melbourne to Shepparton or, or will you just give them six grand? No, it's reimbursement of, of those costs. So uh, that's, that's not that enticing, you know, because well, it's not that expensive to move. Why don't you just give them six grand? Well, with due respect, this is Australian taxpayers' money. This isn't just something we flit away. Um, This is an opportunity for them to make money, uh, to go and earn money and and have an accelerated pathway to study and study. And then what we're saying is those costs, those travel costs that you will bear in doing that, we will reimburse. Um, We just can't flit away Australian taxpayers' money. Yeah, it does seem that the worker shortage, though, is a very pressing problem, particularly with um, harvest peaking this coming March and a lot of farmers being worried about it. If your strategy isn't working and it seems to be a little bit lacklustre with getting young Australians out there, what else are you doing? Well, that's why we continue to complement this with trying to uh, bring back uh, the Pacific and seasonal workers. We actually already said to those that were here on the Working Holiday Maker uh, and the Pacific and seasonal worker programs at the start of the pandemic that if you stayed and worked in agriculture, we'd extend your visas. So at that point, normally what happens is we've got around 150,000 backpackers normally in the country. That's down to around 50,000 now. And at the start of the pandemic, we had about 8,000 Pacific and seasonal workers. Uh, So what we said in March was, if you stay and work in ag, you can stay an extra 12 months. 
Then as we started to evolve with the pandemic in August, we were able to reopen the Pacific and seasonal worker programs and the federal government found 25,000 pre-bedded work-ready men and women from 10 Pacific nations. And we said we could bring them in uh, to support those that were staying out of the, out of the cohort that were already here. Yeah, well, we spoke to a farmer in, in Victoria, Ray McFarlane. She was furious. She's already ploughing crops into the ground. Will you as the federal government step in and try and sort that out? We've had premiers and states, which we have to respect under the constitution, have the sovereign right around public health. Uh, We are respecting that, but we are just encouraging them to move and to move with industry when they have mature, sensible solutions. Uh, And even Queensland, I've got to say, has been able to do on-farm quarantining. So it's not as though this is anything new. And this is the challenging thing where federation hasn't been consistent. It's failed our farmers. It's failed regional Australia. I mean, when you say federation has failed our farmers, is that just saying the federal government has failed our farmers? No, federation is around the way, the construct of our constitution, where uh, rights, uh, sovereign rights have been given to the states that that trump the federal government's uh, ownership of responsibilities. And what we have said during this pandemic and the creation of national cabinet was to try and coordinate that. We should be working together. We should trust one another. We're all I just Australian. feel like this is a bit of a blame game coming from you of just trying to blame the states and saying that they're not working together. What I'm trying to understand, though, is we've got a 26,000 worker shortage nationally. Yeah. Um, we've only brought 2,000 workers in from the Pacific during the pandemic. How do you intend to change that? Well, I'm not blaming. I'm saying this is accountability. I'm sorry, uh, we all have responsibilities and there are limitations under the Constitution. And, and I think this is a thing that Australians are, are, are sadly and bitterly finding out about our political uh, system and our Constitution. There are limitations and the federal government doesn't have all the power, not only in these matters, but a lot of others. Uh, and this is a the bitter experience that we're, we're finding here. This isn't a blame game, this is accountability. So that was the Agriculture Minister, David Littleproud. And Jan, sounds like he's pretty much given up on Aussie workers I got that in. impression too, right? Just le- that they're a lost cause. Let's try and get more Pacific workers. Let's try and get coordination between the states to make it happen. Yeah, but like just paying their petrol and like transport costs, maybe they do need a better financial incentive if they want to get Aussie workers out there. It sounds like they need to because it's taking a lot of time to sort out the COVID protocols to get overseas workers in. Okay, tomorrow on The Briefing, you're going to find out why willpower often isn't enough to keep New Year's resolutions. A Podcast One production.